welcome to the FPA's podcast. Assembly Point provides a collective space in which industry leaders can explore the most pressing issues in fire safety and share expert information and advice. Join us for the 2023 summer series as we hear from some of the most respected figures in the industry and continue to move the debate on fire safety forwards by identifying ways to work together to improve standards. Please be aware that the views expressed by guests are their own and not necessarily those of the FPA. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everybody, welcome to the FPA's Assembly Point podcast, the third and penultimate in the 2023 series. I'm Chris Miles, Commercial Director at the FPA. Today, to support the annual Fire Door Safety Week, which runs from 25th to 29th of September, we're taking a deep dive into the world of fire doors with a particular focus on the use of the doors in the UK. To help us understand some of these issues and even possibly provide some solutions to the issues, I'm delighted to welcome Hannah Mansell, who is UK Group Technical Director at Masonite UK. Hannah is a qualified design engineer, has spent more than 15 years involved directly with fire doors in the UK, including four years in her current role, five years as the technical manager of the BWF Fire Door Scheme, and is a past chair of the Passive Fire Protection Forum. Hannah is also a past trustee of the Children's Burns Trust and a skilled manufacturer of fine furniture and timber art in her own right. As with many of the guests we have on the podcast, I suspect my biggest challenge today will be finding the opportunity to ask some questions of Hannah, as once she gets going on the subject of fire doors, it can be hard to get a word in. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah, it's a great pleasure to spend time with you as always. So a very warm welcome to you and thanks for giving up some time today to look at fire doors in the Uh, UK. Well, Chris, uh, really, what a pleasure. As you've already mentioned, and one of my secrets, fire doors are probably my number one subject that I like to talk about. (laughs) So as you can imagine, I'm going to enjoy the next uh, 30 or 40 minutes or maybe hours even if you can't stop me talking. (laughs) Um, But secondarily, look, I'd really like to thank the FPA for facilitating this during Fire Door Safety Week. Fire Door Safety Week, it's a national campaign. It's been going for 10 years. Through that campaign, I've met some the most amazing people, strength, determination, resilience, dignity, who really want to make meaningful improvements into the fire door safety mm-hmm. world. So in a way, I look at some of these people that I've met, these relationships I've built, and, and the campaign is extremely close to my heart. And Chris, I think I might be saying right in saying maybe close to your oh, heart. Absolutely. And, and yeah, probably close sure. to close to the heart of a lot of our listeners as yeah. well today. Well, let's so, hope so. Yeah. Let's hope yeah. so. Um, but Chris, I'm gonna start, if I may. So you said it was gonna be hard for you to get a word <laughs> in, but I'm gonna start. So at Masonite, everything that we do, it starts with safety. So we don't do safety by exception, we don't do it for a special visit or a special occasion. It's first and foremost in our minds, yeah? It's everything that we do. So we start everything, and to make sure everyone is thinking about safety first and foremost in your mind here, we start everything with a safety tip. So, Chris, if I may, Please. today's safety tip, Please. guess what? It's going to be about fire doors. So probably no surprise there, but it is quite a simple one for you, yeah? So it's about the paradox of fire doors. And you're going to say to me, Hannah, we've not got time for some <laughs> philosophical discussion here, have we? And I'll say, no, no, Chris, but it's simple. It's about a closed fire door. So when is the fire door not a fire door? Well, when it's open, yeah? That fire door won't provide any delay of smoke. It won't provide any delay of fire. It won't provide those vital minutes that we're relying on. So you can think of probably phrases. What do they say? A chocolate fire guard, a chocolate kettle. Well, 
an open fire door is in essence that, Chris. So what my safety tip for today, if I may, is to ask all of our listeners, I'm pretty sure that all of you will be somewhere near a fire door. So take the time to go and look at that door, make sure it's not wedged open. When you go to bed at night tonight, make sure that your doors are closed. So just a little reminder, it sounds really quite simple, doesn't it, Chris? But actually think about it in an emergency, that could be the first line of defence that people are relying on. So let's not underestimate the humble fire door. So there you go. There's my safety tip for the day, Chris. But to be honest, we can get on with the serious questions and interrogations <laughs> no, now it's, that it's, you've promised it's me. A, it's a serious point And yes, well yeah, made. Thank and you. Thanks for the reminder. So, Anna, first question. Masonite, from my knowledge of Masonite in the US, I have experience of Masonite mm -hmm. in the US yep. and the UK, and knowing you personally and your, your personal drive, um, I expect the doors that come out of Masonite to be high quality products, fully tested, fully assessed as, as they need to be, and covered by third party product certification to provide whatever level of fire protection that you're claiming 20, 30, 60, etc. These are then delivered to various customers either directly mm -hmm. to, to, for an order or to an outlet somewhere, a merchant maybe. This, this high quality that Masonite insists on, then once it leaves the factory gate and goes into a warehouse, how can you, how can other door manufacturers ensure that the products can, are used correctly to maintain that fire performance that you've spent all that time and money in showing and, and, and manufacturing built into the doors? So Chris, a long question there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was 10 chance. questions in there. So I think in my brain I've managed to log all of them. So I'll start with your sort of first statement about what we make, what we test, what we certificate. So Masonite, yes, look, much as I've just mentioned safety, certification isn't something we do by exception. We do not step onto the market without certification and it's something that we haven't done for decades. Yeah. So whatever opportunity might be out there, we know that we need to jump through the relevant risk mitigations, whether they be certification, whether they be testing, whether they be our own internal Masonite standards that we uphold. Um, so yeah, that, that's a given. But I guess the question is, so what as a manufacturer, what do we arm our products with so that they can go out into the market and be correctly installed, and, correctly and, treated? And I'm desperate that, you know, this isn't a, a, a Masonite advertorial. Mm -hmm. Obviously you're representing Masonite. So it, it, it's more a general question, how the door manufacturers when they've got certification or test reports even, I suppose, mm -hmm. when it, the product goes onto the market, how does it, how do we know that it's getting used correctly and, and still providing its effectiveness? So I guess there's some practical things that we can talk about. We can talk about things like the door, the door system being shipped with full installation instructions. We could talk about the doors being shipped with full care and maintenance instructions, maybe some guidance for, for residents. But these are just like little bits of the pie, aren't they? Chris, we don't wave our products away at the factory gate never to think about them again. We are actually linked to that. And, and the reason we're linked to that is because of that test evidence, that certification. We're the ones with the recipe of what we've made these products with. So there's got to be some vehicle, hasn't there? Some mechanism to carry that traceability mm -hmm. through. So it doesn't matter, Chris, if I'm talking about a door that we've rolled off the production lines this afternoon, or any manufacturer has for that, that instance. We're often talking about something that's been out in the market for years and might have had all sorts of things done to it. So one of the things that's probably useful mentioning at this point is, is permanent marks of traceability. So that even if I walked onto a site, found a door that happened to have my or another manufacturer's label on it, I can track my way back to who made it, 
what test evidence sits behind it, what certification sits behind it. That's one method, Chris, probably just a small example mm -hmm. there. You <laughs> mentioned traceability, then give me an example of how, it, it, for new doors, mm -hmm. how, uh, how if a door has been installed six months ago, I'm doing an inspection mm -hmm. of that door, complying with the regulations, how can I trace that specific door back to the manufacturer? What, what methods so are available for us? You should expect that physically on the door there should be some kind of permanent traceability mark on the door. So that could be a label, sometimes these labels are on the hinge edge, sometimes they're on the top edge. It, look, there are lots of different ways that that mark is done. Some manufacturers have, have a safety net underneath that because they've got a second marking actually. So if you lose the first marking, you've got something to go back to. But Chris, if I was walking onto a site and going and install it, whether it even be a new build site, but going and inspecting a door that's been installed for six months, I'm not going to just look at that label because I'm not just interested in the specification of that door set system, all of the bits, all of the components so that I can do the relevant checks there. I'm going to want to really check and do my due diligence to make sure that the installation has been done correctly. And I'm not talking about just here having a copy of the manufacturer's installation. It's about having the evidence of the day that that door was installed to show me that it's been done properly. So, Chris, even if I come to an installed door six months after it's been installed, there's not everything that I can see on that, is there, without going invasive. So I might have a perfect product, a perfect product system, yeah, but we can't even think about it in that small sense of just the door set system. The door set is going into a building. I think of a building as a living, breathing entity. It's changing, you know. So our door set, it, well, ours, anybody's door set, in isolation, you can't think of it like that. You might have a perfect door set, and what about the fire and the smoke that could find its way around the edge of that door set, between the gap of the back of the frame to the wall? Mm -hmm. The things which are often covered up by architrave and things like this. So, Chris, unless I'm going to roll up on site, start ripping off architraves to do those type of invasive inspections, I'm relying on a paper trail, aren't I? So I would be relying on a number of points of documentation, yes, certification, tracking back to test evidence, tracking back to the installation instructions, look at the certificate, make sure the specification of what I can visually see is correct, but I'd also be looking for that evidence of that, of that inspection, uh, sorry, of that installation. So I'd be looking for photos of what have they put in the gap behind the door. I'd be looking for probably test reports or uh, certification to show me that actually that was a correct product um, specification to bring in. Um, the other thing, Chris, that I also might look for is I'd look to see what's that paper trail of people and stakeholders that have interacted with that door since it got delivered to site. So you've given me the example of a six-month inspection. The reality is, Chris, I'm, as a manufacturer, a, door, a product's been placed on the market. A character has picked that up and they've installed it into the building. So there's your installer, yeah? But you've probably got a number of other people as well who've had a, who understand that door. Building control, maybe the owner of the building, the person that's commissioned the works, the principal designer, who laid down the specification. So there's just a few to, few to name, name a few. So actually, I'd also want that record to see who's interacted with that door since it was installed. A bit like a car MOT. I could go to the garage today, get my MOT, drive away. So let's consider that as the point of installation of the fire door. Everything is perfect. But what's happened to that door since, between then and the time that I've come to, come to pick it up? And if I was taking on the responsibility of inspecting that door and making sure that I do that properly, I would want to not just assure myself, but assure myself through evidence that that has been properly maintained. We, we um, and it first came to my attention in, the, in 
Dame Judith Hackett's report post, post Grenfell, this term golden threat, mm -hmm. um, and now it gets used all of the time. <laughs> Bandied around everywhere. Yeah. It, it does, and, and I often, and I'm not sure everybody knows what, what it constitutes. Some very, very complex software is being developed to help do it. Probably Some, quite expensive software, uh, dare I say, Funnily enough, Chris. maybe. Yeah, um, maybe, and, maybe. And, and then the other end of the extreme is somebody says, oh, I've bought that, I've got a, a certificate with that. I'll tick the box, there we go, that's my golden thread kind of fix because the product was bought with, with some certification. I think what you explained is quite a complex process involving mm. all of the, the manufacturers of the components that go together to make a door set or, or bought as one, but then all the different touch points that you talked about. For a door that's six months old, it's mm. probably quite easy to do. We get asked very regularly about doors that have been in, and we do fire door inspections ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when they're six years old or more. Chris, I looked old. at one the other day that was 32 years old uh, <laughs> and go. still in and, a building. And, and then, yeah. so, hang yeah. on, where's the door label on that that shows the traceability? Yeah, and you know what, Chris, I hear a lot of people, and I, I'm pleased to say less people saying this to me now, but still an occurrence where they say, well, <laughs> looks like a fire door, smells like a fire door. Someone screwed a fire door, keep shut sign on it. Must be a fire uh, door. Someone may have come along sometime in its history and chucked some intumescent seals in the frame. How do you really know unless you've got number one marks of traceability, but the marks of traceability, don't think about them in isolation. It's that whole paperwork trail, isn't it, Chris? So we've talked about that six month window. Span that over 30 years. I want to know everything that's happened to that door. And I've... I've done quite a lot of work in this area, yeah. And I can tell you that when I've looked at existing buildings and their fire door history, to say it's scant is a really understatement. I looked at 400 risk assessments, Chris, less than a handful had anything to do with fire doors. They told me, and those, those handfuls, they told me when they'd had fire door refurbishment, but there was no backup documentation to tell me what products had been selected, who installed it, who specified it. So all of a sudden your paperwork trail falls down. So if you're a fire door inspector though, like, are you going to put your neck on the block on a load of assumptions that you can't evidence? That was really where my question yeah. was going. When yeah. do you say, that's fine, it smells like a fire door, so it must be a fire door, it's got a sign on it, or do you say, I'm sorry, I'm not signing that off. Regulation 10 now came out earlier this year, mm -hmm. requires quarterly checks or annual checks as a minimum on, on, on residential buildings. For, for common to areas. To the best doors. efforts. To best efforts, yeah. Okay. <laughs> maybe, I've got, maybe I've phrased well, that wrong. Well, yeah, yeah. no, it's something... But, but, but it's, better, but, than, better than, yeah. Um, and, and the problem is somebody signing that off, a responsible person is saying, yes, that inspection was fine. It smells like a fire door. So what should they be doing? If, so if you can't find a very full, and once you've scrutinised it with no holes in it, history of that door, to be able to assure yourselves and your stakeholders that that door system is still fit for purpose, you're left with a shadow of a doubt, aren't you? You're left, and, and how much can you assume, Chris? So my backstop position would be, well, I'm sorry, there's risk here, or there is a, an amount of risk. And risk, remember, risk is not just about fire door, it's the building, the people that use, all of those things. But let's say we recognise a risk, yeah? I'd say, well, you need to put a new system in there. Because the other thing, Chris, if I haven't done invasive... Uh, maybe inspections, I'm not going to know what the lineal gap seal is doing anyway. So there's just an example of one of the bits of unknown info that I mm -hmm. might have. 
You're probably going to turn to me, aren't you, Chris, and say, well, Hannah, you're a fire manufacturer. Of course you're going to say rip it out and put in new product. Yeah. But Chris, if I may, I'm just going to step out of my role, my, my professional role, and step into the shoes of an end user of one of our products or anybody's products. Yeah. Let's just say as an end user, I live in, a, in an apartment, a flat, a dwelling somewhere. That's in an old building. Let's just use a 1960s tower block as an example, maybe. Maybe let's say that I've got additional needs. I can't operate, think, you know, got arthritis or something, you know, mobility, cognitive needs. Um, I've also got family that come round to my flat. I've also got carers that have to come in and see me. So I'm just going to jump into those shoes at the moment, if right. I may. So then, Chris, I'm going to turn the question around. How much risk are, would you then be prepared to accept if you were the end user? How much assumption are we prepared to play with? Yeah, and, you know, look at that. I'm thinking about... That door could be, as I say, my first line of defence or one of the first lines of defence within a whole building. If I can't self-evacuate quickly or if I can't evacuate myself, maybe in those golden minutes. Sure. Um, and, and maybe the building has a stay-put fire plan anyway in it, yeah? So all, all of those things. To ask an end user to say, are you really happy with this product, which we're not really sure what it is and we're not really sure what people have done to it over its time. And I'm afraid... Look, there's no even marking on it to tell me where, who made this, yeah. Oh, and by the way, we actually don't know whether there's some whacking great big holes behind the architrave because we haven't had a look. But, but fire doors, new fire doors are quite expensive. It's a lot of, to change all of those fire doors. Yeah. Um, they, we need to be absolutely confident that they aren't fire doors, that they aren't going to serve a function. Yeah, so you get into some quite interesting points, don't you, Chris, where you, if you can't verify something via a paperwork trail, are we down this route of having to pull a product out of a building, going and testing it, trying to make some kind of decision based on just one test? Um, sounds like this is shaky ground to me, doesn't it, if you're the person that's putting your, your neck on the block? And, Chris, if I'm to be honest, I'm like, I really respect the fact about money. Yeah, these things are expensive, but... I'm afraid, like, what's an acceptable level of risk? And that is a, that depends on scenario, it depends on demographic, it depends on building. But ultimately, people that are legally responsible duty holders for other people's safety need to be considering, well, like, are you going to stand next to it and put your name to it? Oof, not me. Look, look at the culture that we've got in the construction industry. Yeah? We have got decades and decades of risk being pushed up and down the supply chain. No one wants to touch it. Nothing to do with me, Gov, yeah? But the reality is, people have to understand. They've got these responsibilities. They have to stand up. And Chris, not just for standing up for like, oh, I work in the fire door industry now. I work for whoever. I, I put these products in the market. I need to be thinking about, can I, can I satisfy myself that in 15 years' time, I have done absolutely everything to assure the safety of others? Hannah, you, we talked through the scenario of, of you being a resident in one of these buildings and what to do with these older fire doors. I want to play on that a little bit further and yeah. you, you're now wearing two hats. One as one of these residents <laughs> and also as the group technical director of a major door manufacturer. Well, I've got to live somewhere, Chris. <laughs> yeah. There's a massive, as far as I can see, disconnect between those two personas. Should there be? Is there a, is a benefit in closing it? And if so, what can, we, what can be done to, to close that? And, and basically the question is, how can we minimise the distance between residents and fire door manufacturers? So how sure is sure? 
Chris, we, we, we're talking about this example of like a refurbished building, uh, something, an existing building where the fire doors have been in there for some time. If I can't really verify that that fire door system is everything that it should be, it's been manufactured properly, it's backed up with test evidence, it's backed up with third party certification, it's been made under factory production control, it's got traceability on it. I've got a recorded history of everything that's been done to that door throughout its lifetime, and its lifetime could be quite long. If I'm the person with my neck on the block, and I mean that legally, of course, but I also mean that from a moral and ethical point of view. If I've got somebody else's safety in my hands and I'm the decision maker on it, am I really going to allow a shadow of doubt with something that is so, so important, someone's life? Yeah, someone's well-being. I don't think I am. So how sure is sure? Um, Chris, I know you're going to say to me, well, as a, as a manufacturer, of course you're going to say whip them out and put in new, brand new ones, all fully, you know, fully singing, dancing systems. I accept your comment, Chris, but let me just step out of my shoes for a minute there and step into the shoes of a resident, the end user, someone that's going to use this. And, you know, that fire door, let's face it, in an emergency, it really could be one of my first lines of defence, particularly sure. if... I'm supposed to stay put in the building or particularly if I wasn't able to evacuate myself in that golden, golden safe window of minutes. So if I, let's jump into the shoes of that and pose ourselves the question is like, so what degree of risk am I happy that my landlord accepts on my behalf for my safety? Well, my answer is zero, Chris. So, you know, think about it. I might be a manufacturer sitting at one end of, of this web, the end users at the other. But put yourself in the shoes of your end user. Truly understand their needs, their concerns. Respond to that. Yeah, and that's, that's that gift that we've been talking about. You know, we can, we can meaningfully uh, improve. The, the, the message, the overriding message I'm getting, which I've known for a, a long time, is that fire doors are complex animals. Mm -hmm. and, but often get yeah. commoditized mm -hmm. because it's just the door, isn't it? It just needs to, to block the hole up. And I've always thought... <laughs> oh, Chris, you're on dangerous ground, you are, but not, OK. I'm, that's not my keep, opinion. No, 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 keep it coming. I've, uh, al yeah. I've always thought that we massively underestimate the, the importance and complexity in, in fire doors. I'm not asking a question, I'm just... That's a, no, a uh, what, what's me. made me laugh, Chris, was I was thinking about a, a boss of mine 15 years ago who, <coughs> who had that thing... It's just a door. Yeah. We'll put it like that. He, he, he got pretty angry at that time. But Chris, I can tell you in more recent memory, someone told me to chill out about fire doors. And you can imagine that didn't go down well either. But you're right. People do think, you know, do you really think about the doors in your home? I mean, maybe me and you do because we, we think about fire doors quite a lot. OK, fine. But does everyone really think about them? They're just something that you move through. They should be functional. They should not get in your way. If they start to get in your way, what do people do? Oh, they start to wedge them open so that they're not a problem to them. So there's a design engineering glitch in itself, right. isn't there? Um, uh, so yes, awareness that these are, are, okay, we've called them safety critical products. We already know they're on the safety critical list. But it's the culture, the mindset that needs to change. Chris, to give you a little example, a few months ago I had to go down on site to visit a client who was having some problems getting signed off with their, their installation. Yeah. I'm merrily watching a carpenter stand there and cut off the top edge of a door. Yeah, when I said, ooh, you're going to lose the traceability if you do that, he said, Hannah, I've been installing doors for 40 years, I think I know what I'm doing. 
So, Chris, that's an example, but, but a small example of what, what we see. It's that cultural change piece which is so important. So we talk about mindset here, we talk about cultural change, and that's, that's, what I, that's where the fire door industry, that we need to move quickly to that. And we, we can't stand there waiting for somebody to tell us what to do. What's odd, though, in that example is he wouldn't take a detector and pull the label off a, de mm -hmm. a, a, a fire detector, smoke detector. He wouldn't pull the label off a, a, an extinguisher, the label that's been signed and, and checked regularly. Yet he's quite happy to do it. And so are many people. It's only a label on a door. It, it means much more than that. And trying to get that message across is it's difficult. It's multi-layered, Chris. And like we've, we talked about engagement before, we talked about communication. These things are not one, one thing that you do. And there's got to be these continuous improvement loops and feedback loops behind them. You need to challenge yourself if you're working anywhere in the fire door industry. Challenge yourself for what could you do better. Look at your systems. Internally audit yourself to you know to death. But find your gaps. Be honest with yourself. Not to jump around too much, Chris. But you know I hear a lot of people thinking that the certification bodies are the policemen mm. of manufacturers, installers, inspectors. Oh, you know it's for them to catch you out. Wow. What a cultural mindset needs to change there, yeah? Certification body is not, not the policeman. We are the policeman. So, you know, maybe I'm getting into too much detail, but to give you an example, Chris, many certification schemes, they, they require a, a regular audit test of that product. Actually, in some parts, the time between an audit could be five years, yeah? A lot changes, it's doesn't almost, it? almost meaningless yeah. five years. Well... And, and it's a really big problem if you've got to go after it. There's a massive population, isn't it, potentially on some terms, yeah? Mm. So you might have ticked the box from what third-party certification requires under that particular clause. You've done your test, fine. But actually, as a responsible manufacturer, as somebody that is accountable, for somebody that has got legal duties to make sure we, we manufacture these products right, am I going to rely on a five-yearly test? So... Again, as I say, like, think about layers of safety, layers of safety net. We know disasters occur because all of those risks line up in that beautiful, rare occurrence, but that's what causes a disaster. So I think about our safety systems, our factory production control systems, like a series of safety nets, yeah? If something falls through your first safety net, you want to make sure that the next one's going to catch it, and you want to make sure the next one's going to catch it. So... Chris, when I went to another site and someone said to me, this fire door didn't arrive with any installation instructions, I can turn around and tell you it absolutely did because I've got not just one safety net to make sure that those installation instructions go on that door. I've got lots of them. And by the way, I've got a digital golden thread oh, of my own oh. to be able to prove it. So it's not just about, oh, it's legitimate. It's like, prove it. I mentioned earlier about Regulation 10, which has been brought in recently <laughs> to up the number of the requirement for inspection of doors, mm -hmm. uh, uh, installed doors, fire doors. In sh assuming that that gets implemented correctly, it should be effective. One would hope it's effective. I guess I, I, I'm really interested in your view of not that particularly, but any other codes of practice or regulations mm. around fire doors that... that you'd like to change, you'd like to bring along new. Um... So Chris, we have not got time for the full list of things that I might be my personal opinion. But look, you, you raise a good point, yeah? Fire doors are not just about one document, one 
code of practice or, or whatever document we want to talk about. It's this holistic approach. And I can't look at these standards in isolation. So first point I'd like to make is you can't just pick up, and I'm going to just use ADB just as an example, but I can't just say, oh, I'm looking at the tables in ADB and I think I need a 30-minute fire door. You need to need to know that entire context to it. So number one, there's a really big level of competency and holistic understanding to understand actually how all of these standards fit together. I'm going to quote someone a lot cleverer than I am now, if I may, but mainly because they can, the words are probably better than I can express. But remember, building codes, they, make, they might make a building legal. Do they really make it safe? Yeah. So, Chris, I know I've gone slightly away from the, like, the subject of just a code of practice, but for me, the standards and the codes of practice and the guidance and the awareness and... It's a massive embroidered picture that has to work together with each other. You need that holistic understanding. But for me, are, are the documents and the standards that we deal with, you know, I guess is, is it my opinion that I think that they are fit for purpose now? No, I don't, Chris. The, the reality of is updates to documents. They, they move at snail's pace. You've probably got even more experience than I have in, in those kind of forums. I'm desperate to move quickly and and frankly Chris like it's not good for one person or one organization to say oh well we're gonna we're gonna move ahead quickly that that's mean yeah. might be meaningful for one that one organization but it's not going to be for the entire the industry that needs to change absolutely so collaboration not that siloed sort of there is still I'm afraid a, a siloed mentality I think that again there's parts of the industry where collaboration and communication could really improve and I hope that the momentum behind that to collaborate and actually bring through improvements to standards to codes of practice to whether it just be best practice guidance which is out there move quickly on it for me as a personal point I'm beyond frustrated at the speed that these things don't move yeah I appreciate that there are some very clever people in our industry who want to do the right thing and they, they voluntarily put their time together to be able to move standards on and things like this. But we've got a bit of a malaise, a paralysis even, haven't we, in the industry at the moment. People seem... So on one side, people say, I'm not sure what to do, so I'm going to do nothing and wait. Yeah, That's not OK. Get with the programme, get with the picture. The horse has bolted. Yeah? In, in writing my questions, there's a few bits of words that I've put like we can talk about the issues in the industry. You use the word malaise. Lack of education, all, all these lack things. of care, and, and lack of ethics. We're painting a really bad picture, a, pa a picture that the fire door industry is in, in complete disarray, and it isn't. It's, no. it's better than it's ever been. There's more I, I products tested, that. there's more products certificated. Yeah. Installation's better than it's ever been. We're now getting a higher inspection regime for installed doors. Mm -hmm. So. I think we're in a good place. I Could think we Chris be in maybe, a better place? I think, Chris, maybe we've got some foundation stones that are moving us towards that good place. And I accept that we are in a better place than I've ever known in, in my fired or lifetime. <laughs> but we're moving towards that better place. And I think my point is I want that speed of change to okay. be quicker. Okay. Yeah. Following the Grenfell Tower fire tragedy, competence has become a, a very much a buzzword and rightly so clearly the construction industry building industry needed to to move places and there were many 
levels in that that and perhaps still are that could improve themselves by getting more competent i don't think i'm saying anything too controversial i think we recognize that it's recognized by the government i want mm -hmm. to quote uh, the Minister for Building Safety, he says we need to ensure that those working in the building industry have the knowledge and confidence to properly engage with this new regime and make it a success. He's talking of a, a building safety regulatory regime. What he's said there, ensuring people engage, properly engage, it's obviously easier to say than to address and to, to change. What, what do you think, thinking of the whole, the complex fire chain, so we've got the process of manufacture, supply, installation, maintenance, inspection. If you could change one or maybe I'll allow you two things in that chain to address the competence issue, what, what would it be? And I know your company has a, an academy that contributes towards competence. Oh, we do. Yeah, yeah um, we do. And, and I see that happening in, in other places also. Competence is clearly an issue. Give me one, maximum two things. One silver bullet, Chris, that's going to solve There isn't one, one there silver isn't, bullet. Is there and I think we've, we've used that term before. There, there's no holy grail here. But let's just, so competence. Competence is many things. Qualifications, experience, training, all of these things coming together. There are some courses, some vehicles to give knowledge to people in the industry. So, Chris, you'll be aware, you know, lots and lots of fire door installation courses come out, lots of fire door inspection courses. This is all really, really good. But one thing I'd sort of bring back to, so maybe if there's one thing, yeah, don't be complacent. You can't go on one course 10 years ago and think that you know everything because things are going to change. Products are going to change. Installation methods might change. The type of building you're working on might change. You can't get complacent, yeah? So continuous continuous learning continuous improvement isn't this where it's at like don't be complacent when you think about competency no one is uh, no one is perfect are they yeah check yourself document everything and i would really say document everything because as we talked about before we talked about evidence well you know prove it it's not just hannah sitting there saying i did a course 10 years ago chris that told me how to install a fire door is it I need to be able to prove it to you and I need to prove you the experience, the, everything else that comes with it. In a, in a post-Brexit world where the UK has, can it be controversial, taken on the, the un completely unnecessary UKCA mark, <laughs> um, fire doors still don't have a standard mm -hmm. to, be, to be manufactured to in the UK. In, in Europe, they're working towards something, so CE marking at some point in the future will be possible for fire doors. For an interior fire door. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. With all sorts we can of do external fire doors correct, now, but, correct. but in, internal is much more the question for us, Chris, here. It, yeah. Yes, um, yeah. and um, yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> Sorry. My, my, I'm, I'm thinking the way, well, the way to get a CE mark and ultimately probably a UKCA mark if we do go down that route still for construction products will be to check the compliance of a complete door set so that's mm -hmm. a leaf fully manufactured with the veneers etc the moldings on it hung in a frame on leave or on hinges or pivots with with a latch and a door closer 
and with the glazing already installed, etc., etc., a completely finished door set, then you can see market ultimately at some point down the future, or maybe even UKCA market if that's the way we go. Our market isn't like that in the UK. We generally don't supply, certainly in the timber area, complete door sets. I can go to a, a, a warehouse down the road and buy a door leaf and then walk around the corner and buy a, a door frame and some hinges, put it together and make a door set on site. That's usually where the, the fire performance of a door set comes together on site when the thing's assembled. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's when it's got to work, isn't it? Exactly. Assembled as that system on site. Yeah. So what we've spoken about this many times, I've spoken about it to the BWF and the certification schemes many times. How can we close that loop on assembled doors being made on site mm -hmm. and using inappropriate materials. Um, what, what happens in your case and how do you address the door assembly issue? Yeah, so, well, to be honest with you, Chris, I hope I can give a fair view of both sides because Masonite, we, we manufacture components, which, as you say, go into a system on site or are picked up by others and made into a system that travels to site. And equally, we make that full system with everything, all the bells and whistles, and we ship that as a, as a full product as well. So I hope I can give you kind of a balanced view of this. So it's not illegal for us to go and pick up different components and bring them together on site, is it? We're still allowed to do that. Equally, it's not illegal for us to go and pick up a door set and put that whole system on site. But I'm going to step out of my shoes for a moment here. And again, I'll step into the shoes of maybe a, a different role in this. If you're the person on that site that's actually got to bring that together and prove it to somebody, are you going to want to have a stack of test reports and paperwork because you've brought all of those components together, because you've tried to save yourself a little bit of money maybe, maybe that was the, the objective, who knows? Or you thought it was quicker, you thought it was easier. The reality is your paperwork trail is like this big, isn't it, if you've done that, yeah. And there's a lot riding on you to say, yeah, you did it properly and you used the right components and you didn't step outside the limitations that you're allowed to make, make for. Um, so there's a lot of risk that you're playing with. And I think people are becoming more and more aware about the legal responsibilities that they hold as these duty holders. So if you're putting your neck on the block, what's the simplest route? Yeah, and we talk... Maybe there is this component here, I'm sorry to play on the word of component, but there's a component of simplicity. You asked me before about that chain, and mm -hmm. we talked when we talk about like manufacturer to, to resident, and I said, well, I wish it was a black and white chain. But actually, there's maybe this real point for simplicity. Why jump through all of those hoops trying to prove that you've brought together this system that you've made? Why wouldn't you want to, want to have it under one system? And direct, direct route right back to the manufacturer. So all of a sudden, this intricate web that we've described with products going off in all directions, that's a much straighter route. So it's not just easier for you to maybe select the product which is fit for purpose depending on your building, depending on your, your needs. Yeah, so it, it would help you to maybe more quickly make sure that you've got a system there that is suitable for, for your purposes. But think about that value that it will actually maybe bring you through that lifetime of the product. We don't walk away from our fire doors and never think about them again. So even the installer, even the inspector, people are going to be going back again and again and again. Do I want to 
give the next person in the chain a really difficult job of having to navigate and traverse their way through lots and lots of different paperwork trails and lots and lots of different bits of traceability to be able to prove that the system works. I hate, you know, gosh, Chris, I think we all want an easy life, but the rea that, that's a joke. But, you know, as I say, if your neck is on the block, are you prepared to play with these levels of risk and complexity? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that makes absolute sense. I also, to, to simplify the supply chain and, and actually then to provide, someone questions it, to say, I've done as good as I can, I've got a door set, rather than, well, I got a, a frame from them and I relied on the joiner to, to bring it together on site and provide me with a fire door. He's to blame. Well, that's not going to work. So, oh, back to the blame game. Yeah, OK, but, but actually, so, Chris, I wouldn't... If we, if we step back in reality, yeah, to, to reality now, yeah, products do travel in both different ways. One thing we might need to just think about and for everyone to keep in their minds is, does it really matter how a product got there? It's that it's got to work with that system on site when it's installed. So it's that system. Are you going to be that person? And Chris, I was just going to say, it's not okay, is it, to just stand there and say, I did everything I could. I, I, I really went for best practice whatever that may be, because we'd need another four hours to talk about that. To define, we'd need to define it so everybody knows. Chris, my, I'd turn around and I'd say, and prove it to me. So prove that you did everything. Demonstrate to me that you did. And you might do that through documentation. You might do that through a, a nice paperwork trail of something else. You know, I'm talking about evidence here. I'm not just talking about opinions. Sure. Someone's, yeah. you know. So, so again, you know, some really, really interesting sort of ways to think about it and you know just to bring back to your original point we were talking about CE marking UKCA marking I looked two weeks ago and I'm pretty sure it's still UKCA if you're a construction product so we, 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 we may be down this but route, not for internal fire doors but not for internal fire doors I think that there is again a and look gosh can't we understand it, why people are looking for these silver bullets that would solve everything magically? There's a there's a unicorn, there's a magic wand. It's it's solved. Yeah, we're not we're we're simply not there, are we? And C marking or UKCA marking, following the exact rules, these standard rules that everyone's got to follow. It, I'm afraid it's not going to be a silver bullet either. It could be very well part of that pie. Yeah, but. Look into the exact rules, even for internal doors. So they're not published, so you can't really use them, but they do exist. Many, many pages of them. There are whole parts of that standard where there are gaps, where it omits something, and it doesn't do it through intent. It does it through the fact that the standard takes a while to be updated, and it hasn't been updated. So let's not put all of our golden eggs in the basket of something like CE marking, UKCA marking. It could very well play a very important role, but it's not that silver bullet. The one thing I'm taking away from the last half hour, 45 minutes, is that we've got a complex product yep. within a complex supply chain. So it, it goes via various routes to get to market, to get to installation, to get maintained. What, what have you got or any trade association that you're associated with got as a, as a resource that can help the users uh, of, of fire doors understand what they need to do? So Chris, to be honest with you, there's quite a lot resource-wise out there that, from the trade association point of view, I'm really lucky that we can be members of a really wide 
selections so we see a lot of the excellent resources that they're doing. I'd, I'd counsel for more collaboration in that space, if I'm to be honest with you. I think we could move to our goal a lot quicker rather than sort of hands off, I'm waiting for someone to tell me what to do. Or I'm, you know, someone's got a lead, Chris. The person with the flashlight is the leader in an emergency, remember. It's important for someone to be brave enough to take that role, isn't it? So look, resource-wise, I would sort of encourage probably a good start. The Fire Door Safety Week website, it will lead you to all sorts of different resources, but it will also lead you to the stakeholders of that campaign who've picked up the baton. They've produced their own resources. So, gosh, there's loads of, loads of things out there, some visual stuff, so some Fire Door films, some awareness films. Um, one thing that we've particularly done, we've done a number of CPD presentations. We've also done... Look, we touched upon the golden thread, the residents' voice, the residents' engagement strategy. We've done a piece quite recently, which is how might you plan your residents' engagement strategy? And that's not from how should a manufacturer plan it, that's from how should some of our stakeholders plan it and sure. take that ownership. Yep. So there's an absolute wealth of information. One thing that I can mention is, so come back to Fire Door Safety Week. So Chris, what's happening this time of year? Lots and lots of kids, they're going off to, I call them kids, I'm, I should correct myself, young adults probably, off they go to university. Maybe this is like the first time that they've um, lived away from home, they're living by themselves. All of a sudden, they've got to be responsible for the safety of not just themselves, but you know their flatmates and, and all the others as well. We've created a top 10 tips for fire door safety, particularly to chime in with this time of year and where, where that cohort are going back to, back to their, their places of study. It's generic information, it's general information, easy to digest, tailored to communicate the message. And actually that really complex message of fire doors, but to communicate it clearly and well. Given there's not a silver bullet, that sounds like a sensible thing to, to start, at least for that, <coughs> for that cohort, as you, as you say. They're probably not listening to this podcast, so, <laughs> so we need to find a way to get it in front of them or to their parents yeah. or to the responsible persons in the buildings, probably. Yeah. So, and that checklist is available now, is it? Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. We're, we're, it will be all over social media and I think FPA have been maybe kind enough to say that they're going to promote it as well. So, look, it's just a starting point. And as I say, it's even that fact sheet, Chris, that's one tiny part of the sure. fire door story. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe that vein that we've talked about, don't take, take things in isolation, inform yourself. Don't be scared to ask the stupid questions. They're sometimes the most exquisite questions, remember. You know, be we'll, curious. We'll, we'll put a link to the to the checklist in the well, in the thank podcast. You. That's very um, that's very kind. Thank fascinating you. Fascinating as always, and I could talk <laughs> I'd talk for hours or listen for hours, perhaps more directly. <laughs> um, anything I've missed that you have this no pun intended burning desire to to get out to the to the listeners. Chris, I think we've covered it unless, you know, unless you want to turn this into a series about fire doors. <laughs> I'm not going to put anyone through that pain. But I guess just one thing to take away is don't be complacent. Educate yourselves for manufacturers out there or maybe look, I can speak wider, anybody in that fire door chain or that web that we've talked about. Don't think for one minute that you have not got the power to change things for the better. Yeah. All of these stakeholders they're holding, it's like an amazing gift in their hands. Yeah. Act now, don't wait for somebody to tell you what to do, because I tell you what, we will be waiting a very long time. So step up, be brave, ask those questions, step into that space. You know, this is going to be led by wide, quick industry improvement, and for that we have to collaborate. So let's drop down some of those barriers and, and really, you know, do what we should do with that gift that we've got. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to the FPA's Assembly Point podcast. 
For previous episodes or more guidance and resources on reducing the risks of fire, please visit thefpa.co.uk. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for future episodes. And if there is a topic you would like to hear discussed, please get in touch.